This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the Reformed African American Network. My name is Tyler Burns. I'm your host for this episode. Thank you guys for gracing us with your presence on this particular podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to Pass the Mic. Um, You can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes if you're an Apple user. Also, Satchel, um, which was uh, founded by our podcast producer, Bo York, as well, if you're on Android. And also, there's an iOS beta for that as well. And we're thankful today to have a special guest on the podcast, an inspiring inspiring example to many, uh, Pastor Kevin Smith. How are you doing today, Pastor Smith? I'm doing fine, brother. It's so good to be with you all. For those of you who are unaware of Pastor Smith's credentials, he is a Hampton University graduate and a graduate of the Church of God Theological Seminary. He's currently pursuing his doctorate. Is that correct, Pastor Smith? Yes. Excellent. At Southern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. And he's also currently the teaching pastor of Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, a, a position he has held since 2013. And Pastor Smith is probably best known over these past few months as recently being named the first African-American president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Pastor Smith, tell us about how that came about and and, and what happened and a little bit of the backstory there. Well, I am uh, happy to be one of the constituent pastors here in Kentucky and uh, our Commonwealth. The Kentucky Baptist Convention has about 2,400 churches that cooperate together for the Great Commission. Um, and every year we elect a president Um, And the president presides over our annual meeting. And also throughout the year, the president presides over our mission board, which really is the uh, leading and governing body of our convention uh, when we're not meeting all together. And he works with the executive director. And so in November, um, I was elected, first African-American elected um, to that position. Uh, Certainly was quite an honor and quite a joy. Uh, But the backstory, I guess, is that um, it, it's totally, it was totally in line with just kind of how we've been in uh, Kentucky. Um, our, our previous executive director and our current executive director of the state um, have been very intentional, deliberate brothers about uh, believing and pursuing things like Ephesians 4, uh, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, um, deliberate brothers and being intentional about uh, Genesis one twenty seven, the image of God and all humanity. And uh, certainly in Kentucky is not Florida. Uh, we don't have or Texas. We don't have that type of diversity, but there is a good amount of um, Latino, uh, Asian um, mm-hmm. and, of course, black diversity within the state. And so um, it's exciting to be part of a state convention of Baptist churches uh, that work together for the gospel. And those churches reflect. Um, different ethnicities and different cultural backgrounds. Kentucky is a diverse state. We have, you know, large cities that people perhaps have heard of, like Louisville and Lexington. But, you know, we have vast, um, vast rural areas. We have the western part of the state, the eastern part of the state. Appalachia is in the eastern part of the state. So, you know, there's great wealth in Kentucky from the horse industry and bourbon and things like that. But there's also extreme poverty. 
Um, and so we, we have a state and I'm happy that our um, local or I should say our state fellowship of Southern Baptist churches um, has ethnic, cultural and socioeconomic diversity um, among the churches and among the um, leadership of the convention. Uh, probably the next level of, uh, of, of looking like Christ's kingdom is, you know, kind of things I'm involved in now is diversity uh, within more of our particular congregations. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, when I say we diverse, you know, I always clarify, thanks to a brother like Darren Gray helping me, I clarify that, you know, we, we are a convention of the 2,400 churches there are many kind of ethnic makeup of the makeups of those 2,400 churches. Mm-hmm. Um, we could, we are doing better and we certainly can look better at the local level with individual congregations also reflecting that type of diversity. Right. A- absolutely. And I'm sure that's an uphill battle for anyone, um, especially considering the history of our country, but particularly in the history of the SBC. So what drew you to the SBC? I mean, how did you get involved with it? And were there any hesitations that you had entering into it um, regarding just the broader convention and the the broader national scale of kind of what that looks like, um, you know, as as it's as it's history and how you felt like you would fit into it? Um, I actually came into the SBC. I had been pastoring in a more traditional uh, uh, historic particular one of our Baptist denominations mm-hmm. that uh, was in an urban area. And I was in a very traditional kind of um, four walls locked in situation. Sure. Um, and we were by some projects. We were by a lot of poverty and the people that drove in from their suburban homes didn't have a whole lot of interest in that area. Um, and so the Southern Baptist Convention, I remember a pastor I met back then, uh, they were the Baptists that I bumped into that were very, enthusiastic about church planning. Um, mm-hmm. they, they, they saw church planning as an opportunity, uh, whereas I'd been involved in some other denominations that saw church pan- planning kind of in the context of competition or why would we need more churches? And so um, I said, you know, certainly we need a church in this poor, impoverished public housing area. Um, and the local Southern Baptist Association and state convention um, agreed with me. And so church planning is how I walked into Southern Baptist life um, in a functional way. But a real way um, or a deeper way is this, just the relationships I made with various Southern Baptists of different ethnicities during that church planning process. Right. Excellent. Now, OK, so in your particular position at your local church in a state like Kentucky, in the South, um, you know, a lot of people mess with me. I'm from Florida, as you probably heard on the podcast. And so they say we're not true South. Um, so where are you from in Florida? Pensacola, Florida. I'm at the tip. I'm at the tip yeah, of the panhandle. Yeah. yeah, my folk, my folk in South Florida, they say that ain't even really Florida. <laughs> see, see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? They just get us. They get us. It just keeps coming. It, this is another example, y'all. They they just keep telling us we're not the South. We're not Florida. We just don't have a home, Pastor. We just do not have a home. But it's interesting because people people look at us and they say, you're not true South. Um, but I know for sure that Kentucky would definitely be considered the South. And so in your particular position at your local church, what are some of the joys and what are also some of the, the difficulties that you've had in pursuing the oh, unity um, of the spirit in the bond of peace. Yeah. And, and let me uh, 
as I begin to answer that question, let me clarify that Kentucky's at the top of the South. So my Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, deep South, real South brothers. Won't <laughs> yeah. take on so I, I realize where we are. We the top of the South. <laughs> Good clarification. High view is a, was, is a, um, about a 65 year old white mega church. And, about three and a half years ago, uh, three years ago, the senior pastor had a vision for church leadership and church life where the church would look like the New Testament. The church would look like ultimately heaven, but the church would start doing that by looking like Louisville and looking like the nations um, and diversity and whether it's cultural, ethnic, social, economic, all those kind of things stem from diverse leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how that came about. Um, it has been a fascinating uh, journey. Um, I spoke a little bit about this at a conference we had with our Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, it's been a wonderful thing of interacting with culture and ethnicity and submitting those things to the Lordship of Christ. Um, all the methodology stems from whatever type of identity or preference thing I'm holding on to now, am I willing to submit this to the Lordship of Christ and his command that his people be unified? That's kind of the philosophical, theological, biblical thing that undergirds any type of methodology. Um, You know, sometimes I talk to people and they want to talk about Christian unity and overcoming barriers and their whole discussion is methodology. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying, look, methodology is fed by the theology and your exegesis of scripture and submitting to the authority of the text as the new Testament in the words of Christ and the words of the apostles in so many ways calls his people to unity. Hmm. Um, so that's been the, that's been kind of the focus in the journey. Um, you know, with church life is great. Matter of fact, you know, that, 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 that that's why I'm, I'm such a person that advocates local church life. Church life is great. Um, you know, support and criticism that you get from the outside is one thing, but uh, church life is great. Um, obviously, I have friends that for good reason are concerned about um, faithful expository preaching in the um, historically black church. Right. And so, you know, I had friends that kind of um, were supportive but weren't crazy about some of the things that I was doing. But I could, you, you know, I usually can sit down with them and talk about the uniqueness of my background and my gifting. And, you know, they kind of see how, yeah, I see how you could do that, even though I couldn't do that. And so, um, but, you know, I, I understand my friends with concerns of the pulpit fidelity within the um, some of our historic black denominations. And so um, it was a prayerful thing. It was a thoughtful thing, but also, you know, my ultimate thrust is always Jesus's prayer in John 17, that his people would be one so that the world may know that the father has sent the son. And so that missiological impulse that is wrapped up in the unity of God's people um, drives me consistently. Yeah. And and that's really a, an interesting thread that I, I'd like to pull on for a second. Just this this tension that exists really between the the distinctions and delineations that we've created between quote unquote black church, white church, and and we understand the the social categorizations of those churches. But as you were talking about with the theological reality kind of informing and being the undergirding of everything that we do in our methodology, you know, what are some of the 
what would you say to a person wrestling with those distinctions? You know, how we wrestle with the distinction of black church, white church. Um, how would we practically speak on that? You know, I've used those terms and I understand the historic traditional meaning behind them and don't want to sap the meaning, but I also don't want to undercut the ability for unity, you know, and theological oneness. So, yes. so how do we, how do we properly balance? How have you worked through that rhythm of kind of working back and forth between those terms? Uh, I usually start with a biblical mindset regarding the diversity and the unity of the body in first Corinthians 12. And then I go to a historical explanation of the black church. You know, I never feel justified in, in some of this. Um, I forgot where we were, uh, but one of these one of these sentences is kind of a Tabidi sentence. Uh, I never feel the need to justify the black church because, you know, white people created the circumstances that necessitated the black church. So you know, how you feel about black church? I don't know. Ask your great grandfather. I, I don't need to. I don't need oh, wow. to justify yeah. it. Let him justify it. So but realizing the negativity and the sinfulness of history in no way should inhibit us from pursuing the unity that the New Testament calls us to. And so I want to think about the diversity of the body in first Corinthians 12. Mm -hmm. I want to think about how every part of the body brings benefit to the whole body in first Corinthians 12. Um, and so what has historically and what is historically the black church, are there things that that body contributes to the broader body that can be beneficial? What historically has been, and I don't just do that with the black church. I do that with that every with everything that's not my tribe or not where I'm sitting. So how do other biblically faithful parts of the body that are not Baptists and then not particularly Southern Baptists bring benefit to the body? So, you know, um, I think about that for Presbyterian life. I think about that particularly for PCA life. I think about that for Methodist and for Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, without the Pentecostal tradition, 60% uh, uh, of the music in the black church wouldn't even be sung. Most of, a lot of <laughs> yes, the songwriters are Pentecostal. Uh, people who we've just celebrated, Walter Hawkins in his late pass passing recently, absolutely. Andre Crouch, his passing. Andre Crouch, absolutely. These people are Pentecostals who have contributed to the body. And as a matter of fact, and it was fun. It, it was really fun. We did a little tribute thing. Uh, regarding Andre Crouch's music. So it's it's really cool, like being a pastor in a white mega church and standing up and people talking about how to God be the glory has changed their life or we are not ashamed of the gospel or change their life. And, and I just love singing. Yeah, this stuff y'all singing there, y'all know this written by like a black Pentecostal, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and the light bulbs go off. It's like, yeah, I'm talking about the unity of the body at the macro level. Um, that's good. And, and so that's, that's how I approach that. Um, Walking in the walking between the worlds of the black church and the white church or black Baptist and white Baptist, um, you know, allows me to see that the same sin patterns can fall in place uh, any place. Allows me to see that fidel fidelity of the pulpit and submission to biblical authority and the leading of the spirit under the lordship of Christ is something that must be pursued in any place. Uh, let's me see that um, body life and discipleship. Uh, can be healthy or unhealthy in a variety of places. And so um, I, I would pray that we are continuing to endeavor and press toward that place of unity. Uh, but if you want to stretch, if you allow me to stretch from the scripture to hi history, 
Mm-hmm. Um, if there were historical circumstances in the 1850s and 60s or 60s after emancipation, which led to the independent church movement because uh, blacks did not feel accepted, even though they held the same beliefs as Presbyterians, Methodists and Baptists in the South in their various congregations. If there were racial tensions in the broader culture that made black people not feel accepted in those circumstances, those those tensions have not disappeared. Right. That's good. That's good. Wow. That's a really that's a really interesting um, analysis and answer of that. Um, especially from the historical context. Um, If you're just joining us, we're joined by Pastor Kevin Smith, who's given us some great knowledge on his role and some of the things that he sees within the broader body of Christ. Um, And I really love that point about unity, not expanding that to maybe a national context. Mm -hmm. How does the Bible speak about and and how have you seen what particularly stirs you in this current cultural climate? Because as we know, it's testy and we talk about a lot of that on Pastor Mike. How have you as a pastor approached those things, not just from a biblical perspective, but also understanding the historical uh, national context that we have? How have you approached that? And what are some things that you want to issue as concerns for for our, our characterization of culture? What are some concerns that you might have for us as we approach kind of these tricky times of navigating through various social issues? In these tricky times, I want to encourage the saints and, um, you know, I'm a pastor. So, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm a representative of these churches in Kentucky, these Baptist churches. And so most of my thought process and leadership is exercised within the context of the body of Christ. And so I'm always trying to encourage the saints to remember new Testament commands as we interact with one another. Um, I like when churches, sometimes I do consulting with churches and when there's tension in the church, I like to come in and talk to the church or the leadership of the church and just walk through some of those biblical passages that refer to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, if we're in a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-social class church, and we in such a divisive American culture, uh, I certainly hope that Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep would be important to the saints and to the believer. And so I'm never frustrated if a brother, if a non-black brother or sister sees a racial tension incident in our culture different than I am. That doesn't frustrate me. What frustrates me is when someone who is my brother or sister is insensitive or indifferent to the fact that I'm hurting. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, when my kids say they don't need to go to the bathroom and we're on a road trip, um, and then a half hour down the road, they figure out, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Can you pull out the road? I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm irritated. I'm frustrated with them. And we didn't agree on whether they should have used the bathroom an hour ago. But I'm not insensitive to that. I'm not going to let one of my children that I love sit there and have their bladder hurting. Um, Mm. And and so before we get to the point of agreement or understanding, can we just get to the point of sensitivity? Um, When 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 a brother is hurting over racial matter, um, it it, it hurts when a a white brother goes to the default gear of, well, yeah, no, this probably doesn't have anything to do with race. And and they're not even, uh, number one, they're not even clued into your pain, the reality of your pain. And number two, 
Uh, oftentimes they say that uh, from a defensive posture rather than even knowing the facts of the situation. Well, I, I don't I don't think the police is, is racist. Uh, OK, if, if you some white guy out in Wisconsin, that's a Christian and you never in your life been to Cleveland, Ohio, you don't know about the relationship between the police and the citizens in Cleveland, Ohio or Ferguson, Missouri. Shut up. Right. Um, don't go to the default white position. Just, at, at first, can you at least say, yeah, some of my black brothers and sisters are hurting. Uh, let me at least try to feel, let me at least try to see what's going on with them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as a man, I do the same thing with women. I don't understand all the issues that the professional career engaging and challenging uh, women in my congregation had uh, experienced the sometimes they talk to me about the sexism or the career frustration. I don't understand all of that, but I want to be sensitive to the fact that a sister in my congregation is hurting. Um, And so that's the first thing, just believing that the one another's of the Bible apply to us as, as as poor or middle-class or rich people as black, Latino, Asian, Mm -hmm. or Hispanic or or, or white people, just, just believing that the the one another's apply to us. And so we can, we have some basic Christian sensitivity towards one another. That's really good. Yeah. That that's really a helpful challenge and charge for us, Pastor Smith. Um, Now, let me ask you this. Now you're also a professor of preaching as well, correct? At a seminary? Yes. Now. Okay. Now, Taking that outside of just a, a national conversation and a church congregation element, how can the seminary, how can academia arm itself better to be proactive in these conversations? I think one of the things that maybe we're, we're starting to to realize, if we haven't already p- previously, is that maybe we're not prepared to handle these kinds of questions and conversations in academia, in seminary. And then there's also the, the tensions between you know, the current cultural climate around the fidelity of God's word or sexuality or, or all kinds of other things that kind of go together. So how can, what are some ways that, that you're working in academia and your seminary and other places to properly arm people? What are some tips that you would have for, for thinking through the preparation that's necessary to enter a hostile world? Two things. That won't even be a conversation or a priority if you go to the websites of uh, of our Bible-believing seminaries in America and most of the executive council or most of the administrative council is white, um, if that's the case, then that won't even be on their radar screen. Um, but the second thing, if it does somehow wiggle its way onto the radar screen, um, regarding, you know, regarding some of the racial tensions, but even regarding other things like um, – a cultural redefinition of sexuality and normalization of gay marriage and those kind of things. All those types of things come down to two things, a pastor's belief in the sufficiency of scripture, the authority of scripture. So what a pastor, what a preacher in the pulpit believes about the scripture. And then the second thing in congregational body life is just the righteous courage of that pastor. Hmm. Hmm. So some pastors don't preach what they ought to preach because of a doubt about the sufficiency or the applicability of scripture in a particular matter. And then some preachers don't preach what they ought to preach because they are scared of their people, just a basic Mm -hmm. lack of courage. If I confront their racism or their classism or their sexism, if I confront their, 
their mistreatment of people, if I confront the pride and the selfishness in this congregation, if I confront the materialism and the consumerism in this congregation, if I confront these types of sin patterns, uh, I will perhaps frustrate people. And, 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 you know, I live in Baptist life, so uh, I'm not like you. We don't have a presbytery to protect us. And so perhaps this congregation will have a meeting and 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 do the Ray Charles on me. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. No more. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> and on a real level, I've seen this in black, white, big church, small church, city church, rural church. You know, some 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 pastors need a um a boost of Holy Spirit produced courage. Um, and I'm not talking about being a macho man. I'm uh, if you look in Acts. You know, when John and Peter were at their most confrontational, Paul, when they would stand up against government or religious leaders, usually a couple of verses up, it would say something like, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit hmm. said to them. So I'm not talking about like being a macho man. I'm talking about the courage that is produced by the Holy Spirit as we trust in his word and we want to proclaim the glory of Christ through his people. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Righteous courage. Yes, righteous right. courage, spirit empowered courage. I, I went to the Church of God Theological Seminary, so I have more and better pneumatology than most evangelicals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. What are some? If you look at in history, you kind of reference the scriptures and Acts. Who are some of the historical figures that we can see in our culture, not just black, but but across the the variety of ethnicities who have displayed that righteous courage. You know, who are some of the inspirations that you look to in these times, uh, maybe even outside of the scriptures, you know, just in, in current cultural times that you say, man, these people have displayed or do display this righteous courage? Uh, yeah, I try to encourage my students to, you know, we call it the dark ages, but Christ has had a witness throughout history. And so one of the first expositors I try to put before them was is John Chrysostom. One, one of the most neglected areas of study in the modern church is the patristic and the medieval area era. Right. So who were faithful pastors in that era? Uh, who would confront uh, syncretism and idolatry in that era? Uh, who would stand for biblical faithfulness? And one of the reasons I like to use John Chrysostom because he was one of the first what I would what I call consecutive expositors, like let's go through this book or let's go through this book and just walking through the scripture. And if you study his pastoral ministry, um, as he walked through the scripture, he certainly applied the scripture and confronted um, confronted God's people with the sins that were before them. Excellent. He, Excellent. He, he's a four, he's a fourth century guy. Um Actually, there's a little book called um, Augustine on preaching, and it talks about kind of the pastoral preaching methodology of Augustine and how um, he was very deliberate in confronting the folk. And and when I say the folk in that setting, remember, in the gathering of the Christian uh, people, there are Christians in there. There are what we would call seekers in there. There are what we would call skeptics in there. There are all kinds of people in there. There are government watchdogs in there. There are all, all kinds of people in there. And it talks about how, you know, many of these patristic brothers would faithfully, what we call fathers, would faithfully apply the, apply the scripture. Um, That's good. And of course, when we jump up um, to the to the, to the modern world, I think about um, see what, what, what one of the deficits what, what, one of the deficits in American church culture is that you know the black church didn't always have the media exposure 
uh, uh, right. white churches. And so uh, I think about the preaching of someone like a J.H. Jackson, who was long term president Definitely. of the National Baptist Convention. Uh, think about someone like the late Sandy Ray. Uh, mm. th- these were pastors who were addressing uh, the image of God and humanity, who were confronting things like racism and sexism. I think about some of the presiding bishops of the Church of God in Christ. Um, they yes, had one of the sharper understandings of separation of church and state, but at the same time, through the scripture, they would declare the dignity of all humanity. Uh, they would strengthen their people and confront uh, uh, the racism around them. And also they would support things like Dr. King and the civil rights movement. Um, they just would do it in a way that made it clear that there was there's, there's a distinction between uh, and, and, and Kojic, there's a distinction between when we come together to have church and worship Christ <laughs> right? and when we go out as salt and light in this community, engage things like the civil rights movement. Um, and so those would be some of the preachers that I would point to. Um, there's a little skinny book. There's a little skinny book called Baptist C. Black. Um, hmm. And it, it details white Southern Baptists who stood firmly for the equality of all humanity in like the fifties and the sixties. And of course, these guys generally had the same kind of ending of their story. They were voted out or they resigned under pressure from their congregation, but nonetheless, their commitment to the authority and the sufficiency of scripture and also their righteous courage to stand before their people and declare the truth of the scripture. Um, And also to apply that, like we must receive black members um, is a wonderful thing. Um, wonderful thing um, uh, to share with my preaching class. So th- those are the types of preachers I try to plug them in. Preachers to preachers who have stood courageously despite the cultural winds around them. Hey, Tyler, I got a little personal thing to share with sure. you. Sure. Uh huh. Yes, sir. There was a very successful uh, PhD, wonderful type woman in my church plant in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was able to. Um, uh, it was exciting when I when our church plant came into Tennessee Baptist life uh, because this woman, as a child, she was very sharp in math. And, and one year she'd gone to some summer math program at Florida State mm-hmm. uh, and she was scarred about Southern Baptist because being this little black girl from Tennessee that was just it's super intelligent in math. Uh, that Sunday, she's a little Christian girl. That Sunday, she tries to go to church, and she is denied entrance at the First Baptist Church of Tallahassee, wow. Florida. Wow. Wow. And Man. so it was exciting just to see the whole cycle of her being part of a church plant, coming into Tennessee Baptist life, and then getting involved in broader Baptist life, and her observing our churches and our uh, her pastor at that time, me, our interaction in Southern Baptist life. And for her to see that change was just extremely a healing blessing for her. I know yeah, Tallahassee and Pensacola aren't the same, but I thought that that story might resonate with you a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tallahassee is only about three hours east. I have family in Tallahassee. And that is that is really uh, as an encouraging story. This entire interview has been just very encouraging just to hear your heart, to hear your passion, um, thank you so much, Pastor Smith, for joining us, taking some of your precious time and spending it here on Pass the Mic. For those who are wanting to hear more from you, where can they find you? Where you you tweet a lot? So, what's your Twitter Twitter handle? Quite memorable, Smith Baptist. I'm a Smith <laughs> and I'm a Baptist. Smith yes, Baptist. sir. <laughs> That's what I, uh, I do there, and then also um, 
uh, Dr. Tom Rainer, president of Lifeway, he has uh, pastors today, and I'll write occasionally on pastors, or I blog occasionally, I should say, on pastors today. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Smith, for joining us. If you're listening, please follow Pastor Smith on Twitter at Smith Baptist and keep up with him there and all the great, wonderful things he is doing in Kentucky and for the entire body of Christ nationally. If you oh, want to follow thing, us. Brother. Yes, go ahead. Please. Do. I'm sorry. I'll get in trouble if I don't say this. Uh, we, <laughs> no, we, are live, we are live streamed on highview.org and my our, our services, or I should say my sermons are on highview.org. Yes, please check those out. Pastor Smith can preach. Okay, trust me, Pastor Smith can preach. Thank you so much for giving us that information. And again, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can at Rand Network is our Twitter handle for the website. And then also at underscore pass the mic at underscore pass the mic. Um, We're so excited that you guys have joined us and we're thankful that you have tuned into this interview. Great interview with Pastor Kevin Smith. And we will see you again next time on the next Pass the mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.